Tonight is all about a fight. Anyone up for a fight tonight? Depends on what day you have, perhaps. Uh, we're going to be hearing um, from one king to uh, possibly one of the greatest showdowns in the Bible. I thought I'd get to the mood for this. Uh, uh, give you all a chance to battle it out over a few things. I'm going to give you uh, two options. Okay? If you want to vote for the first option, you stand up. If you want to vote for the second option, you sit down. However, I'm a generous kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I give you the option that sometimes it's just two good options, isn't it? And therefore you can be like, uh, what's the nursery rhyme now? Halfway up and I drop down. And you can be halfway up and you sort of adopt, adopt the squat if you want to vote for both. Okay, so I'm going to invite you, if you're able to, uh, to everyone to stand. Please do that. Okay, first one, I suspect I know the direction this one's uh, going to go in. Uh, this is taking us to actually next Sunday. Are you Leicester City or Crystal Palace? Stand up for Leicester City, sit down for Crystal Palace if you want to play. Hey, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, there's a few bend in these. What if you need them? What if you need them? You've got to pick one or both. McDonald's, stand up. Burger King, sit down. Bit of bread. Bit of bread that is sort of circular shaped and fits in your hands. A carb. Is it? Is it stand up for a roll? Sit down for a cob. Stand up if you're for lying messy. Sit down if for your. Or if you like it both. Take the world of TV here. Stand up if you're great. British Bake Off. Sit down if you're straight come dancing. Maybe we're particularly in the mood for a fight now. Maybe you like me have slightly small legs from I mean some of those, some of those, they might feel like important choices. I mean, if you're Leicester through and through, if you're blue through and through, I mean, you know, Leicester City, that's an important choice, right? But I mean other things, are they that important? I mean, you can watch French Bake Off absolutely. It's not an issue, is it? You could even go to McDonald's, and when you finish eating at McDonald's and realising you're still hungry, you can go to Burger King. That's not an issue, is it? I mean, if I'm up in Nottingham, uh, near Tembridge Street Ground, at Mrs. Bun's sandwich shop, it's a cob on a cob for lunch. If I'm if I'm around Thirdly, where, where people are from, I'll ask for a roll, please. Well, this evening we're coming back almost 3,000 years, best part of it, and we find God's people living a sort of their entire lives in a kind of squatting position in that they can't make their minds up. Not about sporting rivalry, not over what you call a circular bread thing, but something far more important, which God to follow. Last week we heard how life for God's people, uh, as a nation, um, having been under David, experienced the happy days of the wisdom of Solomon, started to unravel. Things started to go wrong. They started to experience a north-south divide that was felt even more strongly than in this country. And things were going really wrong spiritually. Between 1 Kings 12, where we were last week, and 1 Kings 
pick things up a bit this evening. We have king after king in the north is given the thumbs down. Why? Because instead of leading God's people, so God's king, instead of leading God's people to God, to the living God, was leading them away from God, to the worship of other gods. Can, can, can you imagine the next sort of big apple launch? You have the head of apple telling everybody, well, I think you should buy you. Microsoft. Samsung. You kind of look at them again. I suppose it's perhaps a bit like that. And at this point in the story, the northern king's a man named Abraham. And he is a total pantomime villain of a king. When you read the Bible, you come across Ahab in your head, you sort of boo his straight away. Absolute terrible king. And the worst thing he does for God's people in his rule is lead them to worship a god called Baal. Baal was believed to be the god. It was all about water and fire and crops, and children. So, if you, if you like, if you wanted a full life, if you wanted a fruitful life, a flourishing life, I was thinking, well, what are you going to worship God? But as that happened, the hearts of God's people were turned away from God. No longer, if you like, were they standing up for God. Neither were they completely sitting down for Baal. They'd adopted the sport. After a while, you start to look a bit down. You live your life in a squatting position. But Amazing Kings is a book all about how God does not give up on his people, even when they are daft and stupid and ridiculous and just incredibly frustrated. Like our sisters. And God decides to give his people a major wake-up. He brings a drought. And I guess what was supposed to happen is you know, for God's people to maybe have a conversation a bit like this. Well, it's not, not raining for a long time. Well, it hasn't, has it? Did God say that would happen if we did something? Well, he did, didn't he? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 17. No rain can turn away from God and worship false gods. The person goes, well, maybe we should stop dabbling in all this bad stuff. But for three years, that conversation didn't happen. It didn't click for God's people. But God decides he's going to be kind. He wants to send rain so they can be crops. But he wants to prove that he is the God who sends rain. That he is the living God. That he is the true God. And Baal is no God. He's nothing. So we're going to pick up the story we're in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you've got a, a Bible with you or on your phone, turn up at 1 Kings chapter 18. And Roe, very kindly, uh, from the seat the back, is going to read verses 16 uh, to 24 forwards. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal, and the four hundred 
prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, I really love that, Rose. We kind of see the contrast for this, this fight being outlined. Elijah, God's prophet, God's spokesperson, lays it down to God's people. How long will you waver between two opinions? Remember, God's people were no longer standing up for God. It's not that they gave up on God completely and were sitting down for Baal. They were they'd adopted the squat position. In fact, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk in the squat position. You walk a bit fine. And actually, what it, what it says here when it says, will you waver, it lets you, will you limp between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. What do the people say? Exactly that. Nothing. And maybe we're tempted to do with a passage like this to say nothing. Because, I mean, how many of us are tempted to give up following Jesus and start adding a bit of Baal worship during the week into, into our lives? I mean, some of you, maybe, Baal is, is a new word even today. It's not an issue for me. But I wonder if those people here might be so different to us. Perhaps you're here this evening and it does feel like you've kind of got two parts to your life. There's, there's, there's life on a Sunday, there's life at church or with Christian friends, and then there's the rest of life over here. And funny enough, if you try and have a third boat house, you've adopted the squat. You try and walk through life squatting. Maybe you know there are things in your life that are, that are ways you're living your life that are keeping you from following Jesus wholeheartedly, going all in with him. But it kind of feels there are these important other things that are, that's what will make life real life, full life, fruitful life, flourishing life. They're the kind of things, I suppose, that steer our, the direction of our lives and the decisions, the decisions we make. Perhaps you feel it particularly about fitting in with those around you and not sticking out and not missing out. Maybe you've got a particular concern of, of not upsetting people, particularly when it's family or friends. Maybe it's so that you can live a particular style of life and it's not that, it's not that you seem to be rich, rich. 
a relationship gives you, or the promise of a relationship gives you. Or perhaps just the desire that you can look back and go, I lived a good life. A life that's made a difference. A successful life. See, in and of themselves, lots of the things contained in those are not wrong. But when they topple God off the top of our list, they suddenly take God's place. And that's that's where things come crashing down. You try and build your life on them, things unravel. I suppose it's a bit like the day when I decided it was a really good idea on the way back from school. I had two scooters in my hand, top of the hill, one foot on one, one foot on the other. It was great for about three seconds. How did it end up? Me face flat on the pavement, two scooters shooting off, and me looking around. Desperately hoping nobody watched. I had a camera out. See, it's God who is to shape our lives. It's not our lives that are to shape our God. God's people then and us now need to come to realise again that it is the Lord who is God. He's the one to follow. And this is where we get to God's epic showdown with Baal. The God who answers by fire, Elijah says. He's God. Let's pick up what happens uh, next in our story. So, Rose and read uh, next few verses, verses 25 uh, to 29 of 1 Kings 8. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And the battle's on. Ball goes first. And I think what happens here shows us the true nature of Ball. Shows us the true nature, actually, of any false god or anything that's good that we begin to place in God's place. What happens? Well, first of all, Ball, like every false god, is distant. The prophets of Ball, well, they call, they shout, don't they? There's no response. No one answers. Elijah starts to take a minute. Oh, perhaps he's busy, Elijah says. Well, it says busy in our Bibles, but that's because you know, we've got sort of English politeness. What Elijah essentially is saying, perhaps Baal's on the toilet. He's off travelling. He's taking a nap. Father's distant. Baal, like every false god, is demanding. The prophets of Baal go to extreme lengths, don't they? To imagine 450 people there 
slashing themselves with, with swords and spears, self-harming with the flow of blood coming out to get bold to do something, to pay attention. And what do they get in return? Not only is Baal distant and demanding, Baal, like every false god, is powerless. After a whole day, we're told no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Distant, demanding, powerless. Baal, just like every false god, all things will be put wrongly in God's place, ultimately just doesn't care. Baal's true colours to see. Baal is my what about when it comes to God himself? The God of the Bible, the living God. The God of the people of Israel. Well, let's find out in Alex and Stormont. And uh, Rose can read verses 30 to 39 of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see there? God is, God is the opposite of God, isn't it? God is not distant. He's, he's personal. He's tied up with the story of God's people. Abraham, Isaac. God has made himself known to them in, in ways that have changed their lives, transformed their lives, given them an identity. And you see that God, God is not demanding here. He's, he's gracious. Elijah prays to God and him to answer, not because he shouts lots, not because he cuts his arms, not because of anything impressive he's done all God's people. Do you know, Elijah prays at a very specific time and time. There's a verse that says, at the time of sacrifice. So this was a time in the evening when each day a sacrifice would be made in the temple in worship of God. Uh, a sacrifice 
that spoke of a blood being shed to cover over sin. To deal with the, the stuff-ups and the mess-ups of God's people. You see, God is showing unexpected kindness to his people. They didn't deserve that. But God had provided it. God is not powerless, is he? He's anything but he's powerful. Any of you ever tried to light a bowl of water with a match? You've got it the wrong way around if you're trying to. The water puts the match out. And yet we have here, Elijah pouring on bucket load after bucket load with a few wheelbarrow loads of water on top of this sacrifice. You imagine it's, it's at a bonfire absolutely dripping wet. Sitting in a giant puddle, no matches, no lighters. And yet Elijah's sacrifice is totally burnt up with fire. Baal and the other false gods and the things we try and replace God with, well ultimately they're distant, they're demanding, they're powerless, they just don't care. Here we have the living God and what is he? He's personal. He's gracious, he's kind. And he's powerful. And the result is exactly what Elijah prayed for back in verse 37. He prayed that God would turn the hearts of his people again. They would know that the Lord is God. That it's him who's turning their hearts back again. We find in verse 39, God's people witness, watch what's just happened. They fall on the ground. They cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It sounds incredible, isn't it? Do you want to be there? I know I like to be. And I guess it's tempting to think that, well, it's all well and good for God's people standing on top of this mountain having seen fire fall down from heaven to go, well, of course I believe and I'd be all in and I'd stop spotting through life if that happened to me. If right now fire fell from heaven. But here's the thing. I think God has done something even more spectacular than fire. I think he's done something that shows himself to be even more personal, even more gracious, even more powerful than fire from heaven. You see, God didn't send fire from heaven at that time, but his only son. Don't you get more personal than that? God didn't need us to make a sacrifice. He doesn't call for us and our blood. But he sent Jesus to do with us sin. Everything that keeps us from God. To shed his blood on the cross. Something again we'll be reminded this evening as we gather on the Lord's table. Bread and drink wine. And God didn't have to set fire to water because he could do something even more powerful on the third day. He rose Jesus from the dead. But again, I suppose we've got a question. Well, that was then. This is now, and if Jesus was around today, and that happened today, and I was there, of course, I would believe. And I'd be all in for Jesus. I wouldn't adopt the squads. You know, if God made himself clearer, surely that would help, wouldn't it? The thing is, God might. And he can. And God often does amazing things in our lives. All of you here tonight, myself included, have stories of the wonders of what God has done in our lives. 
But he will never do something that seems so special that it takes our eyes away from Jesus and his resurrection. The thing is, in our reading, God sent fire from heaven. It's pretty spectacular. And does it really change God's people? Well, for a moment it seems to. If you read on in the book of Kings, it doesn't last. They, like us, need something even more spectacular, even more special. They need Jesus being raised from the dead. So you're here this evening, and you're still exploring whether God is the true God. Whether it's worth giving your life over to him and going all in. Just explore Jesus, what he's done, who he is, what he asks of you. See, my prayer isn't from fire from heaven tonight or tomorrow or, or, or throughout the week, but it is for what happens to God's, the, the hearts of God's people. Turn back to him. For the rest of us, maybe he. he Say, yeah, I, I, I belong to Jesus. I follow the people of God. Perhaps this, this episode is a bit of a kick up the backside. To stand up for God. Not because you've been sitting down completely away from God, but if you're honest, life has been a bit of a squat. Squatting through your life, what looks strange, leave tonight, modeling how it looks strange. But it ends badly. As you read on it, it ends very badly with the prophets of God. And the thing is, you will stand up more for God when you see that other gods, false gods, things we put in God's place, well, they're distant, they're demanding, they're powers, and that they just don't care. And we begin to see that God is the personal, the gracious, the powerful God. He's the one who leads us to life, real life, full life, fruitful life. Life is meant to be lived now and stretching through death. To the other side. So my question for you this evening is, what have you got in place tomorrow, this week, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, to help you know and be convinced that the Lord is God? What have you got in place? Because the thing is, when you become convinced of something, it changes how you live. If you don't believe me, my invitation to you tonight is just have a little drive around some petrol stations. See what you see. Because if you become convinced that there's a petrol shortage, what do you do? You go and join a big queue with a few cherry cans. Become convinced that the Lord, He is good, and leads you to follow Him. All in, standing up for Him. 